This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. All right, welcome to another episode of On the Record. I'm your host, Astrum Lux Lucis, and this week's fabulous guest is an award-winning actress, singer, songwriter, and writer. She's currently featured in Have a Baby, a documentary about in vitro fertilization from Oscar-nominated filmmaker Amanda Michelli. Her newest project, Baby Steps, on GoMag.com is a web series which features her journey as a single lesbian mother by choice who dealt with infertility. Recently, her one-woman comedy show, Lady Gaga Art Birth, received multiple extensions at the Laura Beachman Theater in New York City and Time Out Critics Pick. Her music can be heard on iTunes, Spotify, and Pandora. Please welcome one-woman entity, Miss Athena Reich. Hi, what a great intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Yeah. So before we dive into this vast new world that's unfolded for you, tell us about the little girl with the dream and how did you get started in this path of, I'll just put it, the whole entire music and entertainment industry because you've got your a hand in, in everywhere in that indus- in those industries. So what was your yeah. original intent as a kid? Was it, did it even involve music? Was it something else? Well, I think my first big ambition was to be the first female astronaut. Oh. But that happened very quickly, I think when I was four or five or something. But I somehow knew that when there wasn't a woman on who was an astronaut, and I wanted to be that. And then once I found out that there had been a a female astronaut. I was no longer interested in being an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to do it to be the first as a feminist thing as like a four year old. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um I also really wanted to be a mom since I was four. Um when I was nine years old, um my dad took me to see cats and I was on the edge of my seat and I was like, Oh my God, these are my people. This is who I am and that's when I decided I wanted to be an actress and I have wanted to be a performer ever since. Wow. Now, were your parents involved with that career choice at that young age? Did they um, encourage you, and and what did that look like? No, they told me I could be anything I ever wanted to be. So I was going to be a firewoman, an astronaut, a president, and then I decided acting when I saw cats. So, no, (laughs) there was absolutely no, none of them put, they didn't push me into it at all. Nice, nice. Just me to see a play. Nice. (laughs) Now, did they continue any support with getting you involved in, um, like, the school plays and and stuff like that growing up? Oh, yeah, sure. So, um, actually, all the women in my family play piano and sing. So, my mom did start teaching me piano when I was four. I asked to join the church choir when I was eight. Um, and uh, when I was nine and wanted to be an actress, they let me take acting lessons. So I started acting lessons when I was nine. Actually, when I was four years old, oddly enough, or five, 
I asked my mom if I could get an agent to be in commercials. Wow. <laughs> Just randomly. And she was, she said, no, she said, no, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you should be working at this age. I think you should just be playing. And, um, and then when I was nine and I was more like asked again, and so they let me have acting lessons. And then I was in an acting company called Young Street Players in Toronto, which still exists. And we um, won this big national award. We were on national TV. Jim Carrey was the host. And we won Best Comedy Improv. Eugene Lovely was the judge. And then after that, they were like, okay, fine. We'll let you get an agent now. And I was 12 years old at that point. <laughs> wow. Nice. Nice. Cool. And so th- was the agent getting you work at that time? Yeah. So I did, um, I did do some TV film acting, TV and film and commercial acting as a teenager. That's wow. how I started. I started professionally when I was 12. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then how did you branch over into the world of being a music, musician and performer in that aspect? Yeah. So around 15, 16, I, it's, I gained a little bit of weight, like not a lot of weight, just like a little bit because I just went through puberty, you know, another point of puberty and, I stopped booking some TV roles because you had to be really skinny. And, like, I was that skinny when I was 12. And my body just filled out in a different way. And so I started getting less work. And I was really pissed off at the industry for being that superficial. And I was mm. in such a lookism. And I was, like, already, like, a feminist. And I was just, like, reading Naomi Campbell. And I was, like, this is the beauty myth. And I was really into listening to the Indigo Girls and Ani DeFranco. And I've been playing, you know, um, piano my whole life and I started teaching myself guitar and I started writing songs so I started performing my I had my first gig when I was 16 just in a little coffee shop playing original music and that's where um, my whole music career started I continued acting um, but um, I kind of stepped away for a bit from the commercial TV side of it for a number of years and did more theater and uh, but really did more focus on music very heavily for a while. Did you pursue more training in college? Did you go the college route, or did you jump right in after high school into just hitting the pavement and trying to, you know, make a living doing the acting and yeah. music? So after, um, let's see, I was doing acting at um, Young Young People's Theater and Young Street Players in Toronto, which is an acting school, after school kind of. A program, and then I auditioned for Claude Watson, which is um, a performing arts high school, and so I was a theater major in high school, and then um, I went and became a music major for university. Oh, wow. So I did graduate, yeah, with a degree in music. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ashton Lux Luce's host of On the Record. And it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep on the record, on the air, for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On the Record. You can contact me at Ashram at ontherecord.rocks that's ashtrum a-s-t-r-u-m at ontherecord.rocks 
to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep on the record, on the air, one more year. Hi, I'm Dr. Mesh Seibel, a leading authority on women's wellness and menopause. A recent article in the New England Journal of Medicine found that most women are confused or afraid of estrogen, and many doctors aren't comfortable treating them. My new book called The Estrogen Window just hit number one bestseller status on Amazon. Find out what women are so excited about. Order your copy now at estrogenwindowbook.com and become a partner in your health care. We're currently speaking with Athena Reich. So as you, when you graduated from college, what type of things did you do to support yourself financially? Sure. So um, actually, the first thing I did was I was a waitress in Toronto because, no, well, before that, when I, my first year in the summers of university, I started my own um, children's theater company. Um, the waitress was something I did later only to save up money to move from Toronto to New York. But I started my own children's theater company where I uh, commissioned a mask maker to make a three-phase rotating mask. And I took old uh, myths and stories and adapted them so that there was just three characters and ones. Up. And I contacted all the summer camps and organizations like the Science Center in Toronto and sent them, made them a flyer of what I was proposing. And I ended up building up this children's theater company where I perform these um, myths with these masks, do mask, physical theater with masks, and I give workshops to the kids. So I built up this whole company, and I was making really good money in doing that. And then I decided, well, if I can do this in Toronto, what can I do in New York? So I decided to, I waitressed for six months before coming to New York just to focus on um, making money because the, the children's theater thing was just something in the summer at that point, although it could have branched out into the schools, but I didn't focus on that. And then, um, and then I, I, and I, but at that time too, I was doing some theater in, in Toronto too, performing in some regional theater and uh, small theater in Toronto. And then I uh, came to New York city and um, one of the, I just took my guitar and I started singing in the subways and I was making about $15 an hour. And then I saw one of those statues, those people who paint themselves like silver and mm. like a statue. And I was like, you know, he's making, I saw the money going into his pot versus my pot. And I <laughs> said to myself, he's making more money. People are visual. Like as much as my music is great, people want something visual because they're running, you know, mm. they're going mm -hmm. to their work and people are just so visually oriented. So I said, fine, I'm going to do that then. So everyone at that time, this was 2000 in New York with silver. There weren't any gold statues. So I went to a makeup uh, shop, like a theater makeup shop, and I bought gold makeup. And I went to, found a gold dress at Goodwill and spray painted, you know, got a blonde wig and spray painted a gold. So I put a whole gold outfit together. And I started doing that for three years. And I was making $45 that day doing that. So that's what I did in New York at the beginning. Very wow. Yeah, and that was just to support my going out. I was doing theater. You can hear New York in the background, I'm sure. I live on 10th yeah. Avenue. 
here in Hell's Kitchen. That's just that's just the sound. My baby is listening to all of that right now. Um, awesome. He's used to it. Hell's Kitchen baby is. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just uh, did that in order to support. You know, because forty five an hour is really good when you're just young and you just moved here. So I yeah. would like three to five days a week for you know two three to five hours each day. And I spend the rest of the time auditioning and performing. So I did theater here, um, small theater, musicals, off, off Broadway. And I was performing. And uh, that was how I began. And then I started teaching. I started teaching music and acting here and coaching. And I, I kind of just got tired of being on the street performing. It was kind of rough. People would throw things at you and harass you. <laughs> Teenage boys is kind of scary. Let's take a break and check out "Little Girl Dreams" by Athena Reich. No matter what says the teacher preacher, no matter what says the Hollywood feature, no matter what says the president speaker, you can't stop these little. entrepreneurial um, just kind of like let's put things together and go do them has it seems like it's always been a theme in your life 
have you like actually just sort of over the years recognized that and then sort of developed that skill or is it just something that you still just no. kind of you do or I could say I think I was just born with it. Yeah. <laughs> I never yeah. developed it. I never took on business class. I never thought about it. The only yeah. thing that I thought about was I remember my stepfather coaching me on how to negotiate pay. Hmm. Um, that was the one thing that I learned. But um, I, uh, I, I, I he was doing that when I was doing my Spin Street Theater. That was the name of the children's theater company in Toronto. And he was just, he was like, hey, you think about how many hours go into this? How much do you want to get paid per hour? You know, calculate that and then and then add on top of that. And then think of your bottom, your base, how low you'll go. And, you know, and so, give you know, that's what you do. And so I remember, like, him coaching me on that. And uh, that was really helpful. Um, he had a good business sense. But... Uh, you know, other than that, I swear, I mean, I used to just, like, there's this, you know, there's stories in your family, and one of the famous stories about me when, in my family when I was a kid was, like, you know, kids have lemonade stands, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, you know, so I was, like, selling lemonade, and there was a baseball game going on across the street, and it was, like, a bunch of men, you know, like, just men playing, like, you know, leisure baseball, whatever, and I thought to myself, oh, I bet I'll sell more, and I was eight years old. I, thought, I bet I'll sell more if I sell beer. So I just went <laughs> to my, my parents' fridge, and I got beer, and I just started selling beer. And, like, you know, my, my dad came back, and he was just like, oh, my God, you can't do that. But then they were just laughing later. They were like, they were like that's so with me. And, like, she just figured out, like, what to do. Like, I was just always an entrepreneur. Like, it wasn't like, because I never thought it was a bad thing to do. I was just like, oh, what would sell more? What would make more sales? <laughs> like, it was just like the kind of thing I did. Like, when I was 12, my my best friend and I, we made a summer camp. We just, like, went to all door-to-door to all the kids in the neighborhood. We were like, we're going to have a day camp. And we actually got, like, a couple kids to come, and we got to organize a tour of McDonald's for them, and we, like, organized scheduled activities and made, like, a little bit of money, and we, we actually, like, did that. So it was just, like, I was always, it, to me, that was just, like, play. That was just fun. Like, we would make bracelets and sell them on the street, you know, in addition to the lemonade. Like, we were just, like, always inventing things, and, you know, it was just fun for me. Just, to me, it's fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it's almost like if you just kind of hold this state of fun, then whatever you get into is going to be fun. And you just happen to find things that are also money-making. And um, yeah, that's pretty it's cool. Like, I think it's because, like, I'm a really social person. So I think that's why it's natural. I'm just, like, a natural extrovert, and I love people. And so, like, sales is just, like, a way to interact with people. It's just, like, fun. And I just like to find things I like to do to offer it to people. So, like, it was fun to make bracelets when I was young, and it was fun to, like, take care of kids and have a summer camp. And so I just always found, like, things I liked and ways of, like, doing it with people. So what happens when you're inside the thing that you're doing and it's fun and then it has, like, a not fun moment or you're, like, working with somebody? Yeah, when you're really Yeah, like, what do you do there? Like, how do you get through that moment? 
Yeah, there's so much that's not fun. For me, it's about, <laughs> like, just making a, oh, my God, it's, like, all work. It becomes so, like, if you're, if you're an entrepreneur with something that's really difficult, like the arts, then it's like, you know, a, I remember Sarah McLaughlin saying that, like, it's 80% business, even more like 90% it feels, mm-hmm. you know, business. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not fun. It's like, um, for me, it's like I just make a plan and I stick to it, you know? And I just make a plan. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this for six months and then I'm going to reassess. And I just commit. Like, to me, it's about discipline. You know, and it's and that's something that I just always have. Like I don't know, I had piano lessons as a kid, and like you just, I just always learned that if you work towards a goal, like when you're learning a a, a piece of music, it's there's always an anxiety. I remember this, like even as a kid, your piano teacher says you're gonna learn that, and you look at it, and you look at all the little black notes, and you're like, I haven't had like that looks like really fast and that's more difficult than I've ever had. You always have an anxiety with a new piece of music and you think, oh my God, I can't do it. And basically, you know, with the help of your teacher, you break it down section by section, just the right hand, just the first two lines, just the left hand, do it with the metronome, do it section by section. And then after a couple months, like when you're getting to more sophisticated music, it can take like a few weeks or a couple months to really master a real classical piece of music you say, wow, now I've mastered it and I'm and it, and it's memorized and it's perfect. It's amazing, you know? And and then you think back to, wow, like I was so anxious before. So, like, that's how I approach every project. So, you know, everything always seems overwhelming, but it's like you have to commit. You have to practice every day. You have to break it down and say, this is what I have to do today. And I always hated practicing. Like, I never liked practicing as a kid. <laughs> Like, people think the musicians, like, liked it. No, like, I'm a human being like anyone else. Like, I would have much rather just, like, ran around with my friends or, like, watch TV. Like, I, you know, I'm not, like, a freak. Like, no one wants to practice. So, to me, it's just practice. It's like, well, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do to get there. And I have to commit for a certain amount of time. And then I'm going to reassess if I go longer or if I change. Because if you don't commit and you don't, do the work, then you'll never know if you if you can succeed or not. So you just have to do it. Otherwise, you're you know you're not doing yourself justice to your dreams. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ashram Lux Luce's host of On the Record, and it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep on the record, on the air for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On the Record. You can contact me at ashram at ontherecord.rocks. That's Ashram, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep On the Record on the air one more year. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. The shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. 
Bring your A-game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. We're currently speaking with Athena Reich. What do you do when you're going along and you're within that six-month time frame um, and you're just seeing that, like, this doesn't seem to be working or do you reassess in that moment? And then what does that reassessment look like for you? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be flexible as you go. You know, if you're like, I'm going to call colleges to have them perform, and, like, you get, like, 100 no's, you're like, okay, I'm going to call nursing homes. or You know, it's okay to be flexible and to, like, you know, any new information you get to be like, okay, this isn't working, let me try this, let me try this. You know, but you have to say to yourself, am I going to quit? Well, if I've only been working it at three months, is that really doing myself justice? Like, is that really fair to my dreams? at this point to quit or or should I really commit because like you have to be realistic. And um, if I don't want to work this hard, then I shouldn't be in the entertainment industry, you know? Yeah. So you have to, you have to think about, you know, you have to be prepared to work for decades with little results in the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause they, I mean, yeah. even in the time I've known Definitely. you, I mean, I think I met you back in, I want to say 2005 or 2006, somewhere around there. And I believe it was, you were interviewing me um, because I was not my, one of my videos was nominated for an out music award. Um, oh, yeah. That's how we initially met, and then I moved to New York City, and I met you at a couple out music open mic nights, and um, I helped you carry your super badass merchandise contraption that you had built uh, at one point. I'm like, that's really cool, and I went and bought and built one myself. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, just and that's what like ten years now. In the ten yeah. years, I've just seen you know being on your mailing list and stuff over the years. I've just seen so much growth and expansion in what you've done and it just shows that you know your hard work has been paying off and it's really admirable and now you have uh, a new child uh nine month old child um which you know you have went through struggles and stuff with that and so you've got like all these irons in the fire you're like a, a host of a tv show or a cooking show and um you've got some other tv things going on you've got your music going on you're a lady gaga impersonator how do you fit all this in and balance motherhood now super hard um i think it's about being really organized you know like it's amazing what you can do with the phone i mean on top of it i'm doing I'm kind of doing a kind of parenting where I'm not sleep training him. I just go to him every time he cries and I breastfeed him. And, and I'm, it's part of like the attachment parenting movement where you just kind of believe you should let a baby be a baby and they'll grow out of it eventually. And mm-hmm. um, so it's like even harder to be that kind of parent because it means I'm always meeting his needs as much as possible, not always, but I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm not training him or letting him cry and stuff. So um, it's super hard. But, you know, and it means, for example, during naps, I lay down with him for most of the naps and I nap with him, you know, so because he needs that in order to nap. And, um, but, you know, what I find is you can do a shit ton of, oh, excuse me, you can do a lot of work 
<laughs> on your phone. You just lay in bed with the baby and, you know, I can just like do do all my emails and, you know, and um, I basically have to be super selective, but I was ready in my life to be like, you know what, I'm ready to be super selective. I don't want my life to be about career. It's empty and I want family hmm. to be at the heart of that. And so I'm ready to, um, you know, just let whatever happens happen. If that means less success, that's fine. If that means, like, I have to focus and I can only do acting and I can't do music, that's fine. Like, I, you know, but strangely what's happened is it almost feels like my, I think, I think my career has been blowing up even more this year, so I don't understand how that happened. But because I've had way less time, it's like I'm suddenly in this movie that's like, you know, at the Tribeca Film Festival, and, like, you know, I'm getting still getting lots of goggle work, and I'm doing some writing and getting published. And so it's like, I don't know. Um, I don't believe in the secret, but it seems to be working for me. So. <laughs> like, as soon as I'm, like, happy and I have my family but, you know, I don't know. I'm just really organized and I'm really focused. And, you know, people say, oh, can, can you talk on the phone? And I say, actually, phone is really hard. Can we email? Like, I am just like, it's not about meeting, pleasing other people. It's about, you know, I just have to be kind of self-centered in a way and be like, sorry, I can't do that for you. I'm sorry, I can't offer you. You know, I just have to be like, I've got a baby. I'm a single mom. This is what I This is how it's you know, if if you come into my world, this is how it's got to be. You know, like I have to be, able, I have to be, I basically have to have really good boundaries, is what it is, um, mm. with other people. I have to have super good boundaries. Um, be super focused on what I need. Um, that doesn't, you know, I'm super nice and like generous and whatever. I have to be, I'm still a good friend, but I have to be very clear about, you know, like this is what I need and this is what's going to, you know, you want to hang out with me? Okay, my baby's going to be with me and we're going to like walk in circles and talk quietly while he naps. Like I just have to be, like it's not about pleasing other people is what I mean. It's about, you know, mm-hmm. being a good mom and it's like, no, I'm, when I pay the nanny, I'm, that's when I'm going to get work done, you know, so I'm not going to pay the nanny to go for coffee as much anymore. Well, I, you know, I go out for dinner with friends sometimes, but it's like, you know, it's like I just have to be super focused. And and make you know and hope that my friends are okay, like living and coming into my baby centered world with me, you know, because he's a baby, he needs a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, even some work stuff, you know, I've I, you know, I've booked some gigs. And I said, well, you know, um, can we, you know, can you give me a hard time when I have to go on and come off because I have to hire the nanny and I can't be that flexible. I can give you 30-minute leeway here and there. You know, I just have to be like, and if they want to not book me for that, fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just like, I live now, and and I'm okay with that because I think if they don't get it, then I don't need that gig because it's more important for me to be a good mom. And surprisingly, most people totally flow with it, you know? And they say, great, no problem. I can be flexible. And, you know, like I was on a TV interview, and I showed up, and my baby happened to be net to fall asleep early, and I said, is there any way you can interview the other person first? And they said, no problem. They were able to push the other per- interview first and have me later so my baby could finish his nap, you know. And I just have the gall to ask that. So I'm a single mom, so a single mom by choice, you know. I And not that, like I would love to have a partner, but I chose to have a baby despite being single. And so, yeah, but it's like totally worked. Like nobody, I don't really... 
I lost one good cousin, but the guy was a total jerk, so it didn't matter. <laughs> we all know love is patient. We all know love is kind. No one tells you love is crazy and can catch you from behind. They say one man, one woman, it's unnatural to love your own. But I've been with boys, I've been with girls, and love is ruled by love alone. Love is ruled by love alone. Love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love. abstract work of art you can only find its beauty painting with your broken heart and if you stay wide open to everything that it could be it might grace you with its presence love don't make no guarantees love don't make no Love is Love by Athena Reich. How does that, you know, during your pregnancy, like how did that affect getting work? And then, you know, um, yeah, well, right after he I was actually, born and all that. But it seems very, you, you're coming from a, a place of empowerment with it. And I think yeah. maybe that empowerment I is am. kind of just really carrying over and yeah, um, like I, sort I of totally just giving you the respect that you need for that, you know. That's exactly what's happening. To me, I'm like, this is feminism in action, is I should be able to work and be a mom. And if people have a problem with that, that's an ethical problem, you know, Mm. that they have. And so I come from this just kind of an entitlement of this is how it is, you know, and you need to work around this in a nice way. And almost everybody's like, yeah, totally, of course, you know. And and it is just because this is how the world should be, you know, like, it should be a more family, baby-friendly world. You shouldn't have to choose between having a career and a child. That 
that is not how the world should be. You know, and that is the ultimate feminism. Like second wave feminism was was about, you know, I choosing the career over the baby. And, and, you know, our mothers had to do that to make a point. That point has been made. And now the point should be I shouldn't have to make that choice. You know, you, everybody, first of all, we shouldn't have to be work. It's too much of a workaholic culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't have to work past five and we shouldn't have to work so hard. And, um, and then, you know, second of all, it, it shouldn't be, you know, it just shouldn't be a choice. People should be flexible, you know, um, be able to work from home and do, you know, because why should we have to have a culture of neglected children just to be a productive culture? That's not healthy. So I feel like I'm an advocate of that. And that's important to me, but like everyone just seems to be on board with it and um, be okay. Like when I was pregnant, I, um, I just worked up until seven months pregnant. Wow. Um, I was able to, as a Lady Gaga impersonator, I had a costume piece made that hid the belly, looked like wow. a, a sculptural piece of the dress. And um, I was even on a TV show. Um, I played a lead on a TV show, uh, Perfect, The Perfect Murder, um, I, on Discovery Network. And I booked it when I was pregnant. They didn't even notice in the audition. And then I wasn't going to tell them, except they wanted me to to lift something really heavy, which you're not supposed to do when you're pregnant. So mm, I actually yeah. ended up telling them on set, and they were all completely accommodating. And we were just able to hide it with costume, and it was fine. So I just kind of went ahead and was like, well, I'll just keep going till I keep going. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ashram Lux Luce's host of On the Record. And it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep on the record, on the air, for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On the Record. You can contact me at Ashram at ontherecord.rocks. That's Astrum, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep On the Record on the air one more year. Hi, I'm Dr. Mae Seibel, a leading authority on women's wellness and menopause. When my wife Sharon had her ovaries removed to prevent cancer, she was immediately thrown into early menopause. She needed estrogen to relieve her symptoms, but her doctors weren't sure if it was safe or if it would cause breast cancer. I had to know the truth. After years of research, I discovered there was an estrogen window, a window of opportunity to take estrogen that lowers disease risk and increases estrogen's effectiveness on symptoms. I realize there are millions of other women who are also confused and fearful of taking estrogen. That's why I wrote The Estrogen Window, which just hit number one bestseller status on Amazon. Find out what women are so excited about. Order your copy now at estrogenwindowbook.com. We're currently speaking with Athena Reich. 
Yeah, I want to jump back a little bit because I had a thought when you were talking about like the first wave of feminism. It also seemed seems like that first wave of feminism was oh, more about wave. yeah, the first like the vote. Yeah. Well, like it was, it was like women vote. becoming men. You know, That's it's the like wave. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and now it's more exactly. like you know becoming right. um, becoming becoming human. <laughs> You know? <laughs> well, exactly. Well, that's it. It's like becoming men, but then it's like, well, the reality is if I'm giving birth, I'm the one breastfeeding, I am going to be, I mean, first of all, I'm a lesbian, so this wouldn't even apply to me, you know, but if say I was married to a man, I, I am going to be the primary caregiver, and I should, because I have the boobs, and babies mm-hmm. should be breastfed if possible, yeah. like yeah. not to shame anybody who can't at all. But um, if possible, you know, it is better for them if you can, and so... You know, there's just a reality, and why take that away? Why not be like, this is amazing, you know, and um, this is an honor. And yeah. uh, not that you should have to do it or you should have to have a child as a woman, no. But, yeah, it's just like you said, it's like, what if what if we, we'll see, the first thing is, yeah, women can be men. And now it's, well, what if being a mother is more important than working a job? Yeah. You know, because we see in our culture, it's more important. Your worth is defined by your work. But mm-hmm. what if it was defined by being a good person and by being a good parent? Not yeah. just a parent, like everyone has to be a parent, but being a good person, a good friend, a good sister, a good parent, a good daughter. You know, what if that was really the value? Yeah. You know, that would be feminist, you know, and human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that would create so a whole different kind of, world too, you know, than yeah, one that so we're to, we're defined yeah. by labels, you know. Yeah, so I'm kind of trying to live that and just and just be like, well, this is the paradigm I live in. I'm 100% committed to be, being a great mom. So what is that going to mean? I don't want to separate my kid from work. <clears throat> I want my kid to be with me as much as possible. So if I'm on set, I'd like my kid to be on set with me, have a nanny, be there to take the child when, you know, I need to be on camera. But, you know, so it's like I'm just living in this world of, like, I don't even want, because the second wave was about, well, get a nanny and go to work and put your kid on formula, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. what if it's more integrate your child with your work? Can I work from home? Can I bring the child to work? What can I do so that the child is not neglected and these worlds aren't separate? And that's the theory behind attachment parenting, too, is, like, to maintain that bond and that attachment, especially in the early, the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what I'm trying to do is just, like, be really integrated. So, like, another thing I do just is I still do some mentoring and coaching and teaching. So, you know, I work from home, and I have a nanny here, and I, I just space out my students. So I have time in between to be with my kid, breastfeed if he needs, you know, and I just, like, am making it so I work, you know, and, and uh and working from home, and every now and then I say to the student, you know, I'm running a little ten minutes late. My kid needs to eat. Is that okay? Yes. And they're all, everyone's cool with it. Yeah. You know, or if, you know, I'll make it up. I'll make this ten minutes up to another time. You know. Yeah. Me and my girlfriend walking down Main Street, and smile after smile as we go by. Doorman says. Hey. Change in the bleak of an eye. 
all the way to Algeria, Beijing to Wyoming, this whole globe is transforming, can't you feel it, can't you see the possibilities of new morality and a new reality. Let your voices ring, join the Arab Spring Love is law, occupy everything Every city, every nation No more hate and domination No corporate greed, stand with those in need You can see the signs, read between the lines Every bully will fall, tear down the wall Liberty is your Time featuring the Intergalactic Outlaws by our special guest Athena Reich. So, what's what's next on the horizon for you? Like, what are your what are you looking at? With, say within the next um, next year or two. Um, I am I am going to be very soon releasing um, a web series. I'm creating. I'm the writer creator of a web series called Baby Steps, which is basically a journal, but it's kind of like a web series um, about my experiences as a single mother by choice, a lesbian. I went through infertility. I went through IVF and a lot of difficulties being pregnant. Ended up using an egg donor in the end. Um, So the journey to have a baby and what it's like to be a single mom and a performer. So that's releasing really soon on gomagazine.com, gomag.com. And um, so that's a big project I'm doing right now. I'm also um, in a movie that's going to come out called Have a Baby, but that's not projected to come out until about 2017 or so, maybe later. Um, it was just at the Tribeca Film Festival, and now it's being shopped around. Um, and then other than that, you know, I've got my music gigs, my Gaga, Lady Gaga impersonation gigs. I've got... Um, acting work, you know, auditions and some TV work in there. So, and and I've been writing a little bit uh, lately, writing about my experiences of going through infertility and being a single mother by choice. And so, yeah, so just little gigs like that. But the big project, I'd say, is the baby steps on gomag.com. That's going to be nice. magazine. Yeah. Nice. Very empowering stuff you got going on, for sure, you know. Yeah, thank you so um, much. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ashram Lux Luce's host of On the Record, and it's that time of year where we've got to engage our fundraising campaign. We are on a mission to raise $12,000 by July 1st of 2016 so that we can renew our contract and keep On the Record on the air for one more year. If you've enjoyed the stories of success that we've brought you from the most prominent and successful women in the music and entertainment industry, then I would like you to see about sponsoring On The Record. You can contact me at ashram at ontherecord.rocks. That's ashram, A-S-T-R-U-M, at ontherecord.rocks to find out about all the wonderful sponsor opportunities that we have available for you. Help us keep On The Record on the air one more year. Never has there been a better time for women to hack success. 
shift is on and the breakthroughs are real. We're taking success to a whole nother level. Join us at the Women's Success Summit, a gathering of dynamic, smart women helping women. We want to learn about you and what you have to offer. Bring your A-game and be prepared to transact some business. Oh, and by all means, dress to impress. Register at eWomenNetwork.com. We're currently speaking with Athena Reich. Here's an audio excerpt from Baby Steps, Athena's new web series project. Let's check it out. This entry is all about longing, about wanting something and going for it even if it's hard or impractical or goes against the grain. When I was four years old, I wanted to be mom. Well, a mom and an astronaut and a firefighter. I pictured falling in love, getting married, having babies, putting out fires and walking on the moon. When I was 16 years old, I was obsessed with the Indigo Girls. I would lie on my green grass bedroom carpet, listening to their music for hours, gazing at photos, and then one day I thought, hmm, I might have to consider the fact that I may be gay. But my dream of the white picket fence didn't disappear when I came out, it just shifted as I replaced a husband for a wife. And my firefighter astronaut dreams changed as I started acting and writing songs, but I still wanted to find love, have babies, and change the world. My 20s and 30s were filled with chasing dreams. I toured across North America, selling CDs out of a $300 lemon of a car I purchased off Craigslist. I did the serial monogamy thing, hoping each time that she would be the one, but no amount of couples therapy could salvage any of them. If luck be a lady, she wasn't smiling on me. Not when it came to love. At age 36, when my sweetheart of a stepfather passed away, I knew I couldn't wait anymore. There was a hole in the fabric of my family and I wanted to fill it with new life. I went to the gay center, joined a support group for lesbians trying to get pregnant, and my journey as a single mom-to-be began. It sounds so simple in retrospect, but at the time I would wake up in the middle of the night in a panic thinking, why am I doing this? Why would I choose to become a single mother? But my longing to have a child only grew stronger. I was sick of waiting for Mrs. Wright and knew that at the age of 36, I did not have the luxury of time. Plus, I was so tired of living just for me. I wanted meaning, depth, and a purpose in life. I would love to say that I bought myself some sperm and bada bing, bada boom, I was with child. But the doctor told me that I have low ovarian reserve, which basically means that I don't have very many good quality eggs left. So the next time the doctor tells you to have a baby by the age of 35, listen to him or her. I tried again and again. Inseminations, injections, surgeries, hormone tests, pregnancy tests, miscarriages. When I look back now, it seems like the dark ages. But it was also an incredibly productive time with a single very important purpose. I felt like I was an athlete training for the Olympics or someone trying to survive a terrible disease. Once, I remember after a miscarriage, I told my mom that maybe it's not meant to be. She looked really sad for a moment and then looked at me and said, no honey, we just have to get you a baby. We just have to. And she was right. My first attempt with an egg donor worked. It was a strong pregnancy, a crazy delivery. I'll save the details for another video. But I now have a six month old son named Phoenix who is the love of my life. 
Being a single mom is hard, but he's so darn cute and deliciously lovable that it's definitely worth it. And my fantasy was correct. Having a baby really does bring more meaning and purpose to my life. Is there something you really want that seems insurmountable to accomplish? Are you pursuing it? Giving up hope? Why? And that was an excerpt from Baby Steps, Athena Reich's brand new web series project. We're speaking with Athena Reich. What final words of wisdom can you share with us about um, being a mom, being an artist, being an entrepreneur, being in real estate? What's, what's, what would be your, your biggest life lesson that you can share with us all to take on our way? I don't know. I think, you know what? I, I, okay, I know what to say. It's a real mix of being a dreamer, like being ambitious, but being very practical and realistic. I have a lot of friends who are artists who are dreamers, but they're not practical. Mm. And they get lost. And you got to be real. You know, it's, it's like, yes, we all want to, like, you know, win a record deal, you know, be, be uh, you know, you know, but like, what can you, you got to break it down and be like, well, but for now I can make money teaching or I can make, you know, you got to, it's not settling to, to compromise. There's a difference between, you know, and think about how can you compromise for now and and work towards your, like, always go for that lofty goal. Okay, you want to be a Hollywood celebrity, great. But focus on that because that's really, really hard to obtain and is probably out of your control and mm-hmm. maybe has more to do with privilege and being born into it and, you know, if you really look at who's famous and how they came mm-hmm. in. Right. Or, they, you know, they have family money, so, you know, they don't have to work. So, sure, I'm not saying don't dream and go for that, but be really realistic and think and don't kid yourself because you need money in this world. And think about ways to make money and to be middle class because that's what you need to be happy. And, I mean, studies prove that, right? So what can yeah. you do? Can you teach? Can you invest in real estate? Can you, you know, be a Pilates instructor? Like, what can you do? You know, and, and, and the only way you really make money is Pilates instructors to be a private coach, too. So you got to get good at it. You know, like, the cost <laughs> is not going to make enough. So what can you, where can you make a lot of money per hour? Um, so that you have time to still pursue your dream. And I mm. say just just don't be afraid to be practical. It's not it's not like losing sight of your dreams to be practical and to think about money. And that's where a lot of artists go wrong, I think. Yeah, yeah. there's definitely that um well, if I do this, then I won't have time for my dream, and, and right. uh, you know, you get true. lost in that so, circle. Yeah. Right, but find something that pays a lot per hour, <laughs> mm-hmm. like being a massage therapist. You know, there's there are jobs where you make a lot in an hour, so you can still have 20 hours per week to dedicate to your craft, at least, you know, probably more. But, like, so you're only working 20 hours at your, you know? Mm-hmm. There are jobs where you can make a lot per hour. And so something that artists do too is they say, oh, but I want to do this job because it's really cool, you know, and they're compromised jobs, but their compromised job isn't making enough per hour. So that's another pitfall. So think mm. about it. Like, like, oh, but it's cool. I'm working for a not-for-profit and stuff. It's like, okay, but you're not making any money. So 
you're going to be working full-time there, and then you're not going to have time for your art, and then you're going to be frustrated. Why not do something, you know, that you love less for less amount of time for more money so you can work at the heart of what you want more? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's another thing. And I'm not saying not to do that, but just be really aware of how you spend your time and what you choose to do, you know. Yeah. And that's yeah. why, for example, though I love singing, playing my guitar and singing more, you know, in the streets of New York, I was only making $15 an hour. It's not like I wanted to stand still and be a statue as much, but they were making more <laughs> money. And I was like, well, I can do that and then have more time to audition. And that, and that, therefore, I had more time to build my career and my network of people, you know, my connections here. So mm-hmm. that's like, I consciously did that. I was always like, well, how can I make the most amount of money per hour so I have more time to be an artist? Yeah. That's and awesome. And real estate is like the ultimate of that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Right on. And that fits with being a mom. You want to do the same with, if you want to be a parent because you want time with your kids. So. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. <laughs> so I hope this empowers people. Yeah. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. Yeah.